Turning then to 1 Kings in the chapter 11, please. 1 Kings in the chapter 11. We'll enter into the chapter this evening at the verse 26. 1 Kings, the chapter 11, and the verse 26. And the Word of God says, And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zeradah, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Seruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. It came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment. And they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel." Because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake whom I chose, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and will give it unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shalt be king over Israel." And it shall be, if I wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that as that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt unto Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was forty years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. And so reads the word of the Lord. Now we are, of course, coming ever closer to considering what is the last of our covenants in Scripture, that being the new covenant. 
And the new covenant is indeed found in various scriptural references. But undoubtedly, it was to Jeremiah that God imparted the fullness of this covenant. He was a man who ministered largely to the kingdom of Judah, or the southern kingdom as we commonly refer to it. But as we will see, he had also a message for the nations. Now, as we come to consider what we've read tonight, we note, of course, that in the latter part of Solomon's reign, that God, as it were, reveals what he shall do as Solomon passes from this scene of time. This was all foretold of, was it not, whenever God had said that if Solomon's heart was found not to be right before God, if his heart was not devoted to the true and to the living God, if his heart was not in keeping with that which God had commanded, then judgment would be known, judgment would fall. We looked last week at how Solomon, despite his being noted for wisdom, nevertheless in a spiritual manner was a great fool. And because of the wives that he had married, many indeed, they nevertheless had turned his heart away from following hard after God. And here he was found offering worship and sacrifice unto numerous gods, but very much the three gods that we read off tonight, Ashtoreth, Shemosh, and Milcom. And so inevitably then, God being true to his word, judgment would and did fall upon the nation. And here in the words that we have read together, we see a foretelling of that to the man by the name of Jeroboam. Now, the Bible tells us that as he is found there in the kingdom of Solomon, he was known for being an industrious man. He was known for being a worker, for being a fighter. But nevertheless, in the days to come, God foretold that he would play a very prominent role within the nation, for he would come to lead the ten tribes who would then form the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. And God then did exactly what he had said he would do. And in that word picture of Ahijah taking that garment from him and rendering, rending that new garment into 12 pieces, God set aside 10 tribes just for Jeroboam. And then the latter part, the southern part, then Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, came to rule over what we term the southern kingdom. So we see that the kingdom was rent. And these ten tribes ruled by Jeroboam in the north, two tribes by Rehoboam in the south. But all the while, despite the pleadings of God, despite the very evident truth that was ministered into the life of Jeroboam by this man Ahijah, this exhortation to stay true to God, this promise from God that if he did indeed stay true, that God would establish his throne and he would know a prosperous reign. Nevertheless, idolatry persisted. It was found in both kingdoms. And despite there being in existence some good kings, namely, of course, the names that spring to mind as we reference good kings within the nation of Israel, particularly the kingdom of Judah, we automatically think of Hezekiah. We automatically think of young Josiah. But nevertheless, despite these good men and others being upon the throne at times, and despite faithful messengers of God in the form of Amos, Hosiah, Isaiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Joel, to name a few, God's judgment came, just as he said it would. Now, we were reminded of all of this 
number of weeks ago as we considered Ezekiel in the chapter 16. We read there together of a wonderful tale of God's sovereignty, God's love, and indeed God's protection. But we also remember read a sorry tale of Israel's sin, Israel's rebellion, and Israel spurning the truth of what they enjoyed with God and what they had been blessed with. Now, Jeremiah, as we come to think about him now, well, he was the last of the prophets commissioned by God to minister to the nation of Judah. And his message, indeed his ministry, was a particularly solemn one. It was a poignant one. For he ministered in a time whenever the northern kingdom had already entered captivity. And so he proclaimed a message to the southern kingdom that because of their rebellion, because of their hardness of heart, that which was known in the northern kingdom would soon be the reality in the southern kingdom. And I say it's solemn, I say it's poignant. Why? Because that would mean no longer would the Jew hold control over the land that God had granted to them. No longer would the nation, either north or south, hold any sway or any power over the land that was promised. Rather, this would all now be claimed by heathen nations. And the Jewish people themselves would be in exile, scattered across many lands and various kingdoms. Now, this set the scene for something that is referred to as being the Jewish diaspora. And that's a term used to reference the scattering of Jewish people all across the globe. Something that began in these times. But something which, of course, culminated in the year 70 AD when the temple was ransacked, when Jerusalem was in chaos, and when the Roman army began to slaughter Jews under the command of Titus. And for those not killed, inevitable slavery ensued. And right across the globe they were spread. And right across the globe today, evidence of their dispersal can be found. Jeremiah is often referred to as a weeping prophet. He personified a broken man. Broken because of God's dealings with the people broken because of the sin of the people which necessitated such dealings, and broken because of the hardness of heart that was evident despite his heartfelt pleadings, and indeed those of others also. And so tonight I want to turn over to the book of Jeremiah in the chapter 1. The book of Jeremiah in the chapter 1, and once more we're pressing the accelerator and zooming through Uh, several years of Jewish history and how the fracture of the kingdom occurred. We read a little of it there, just for context's sake, and then we're skipping over the various reigns of kings and how, of course, then captivity followed. And much of it we're going to rely upon our knowledge of what we gain from Ezekiel 16 to fill in the blanks 
And nevertheless, we come now to the life and the times of Jeremiah, who, remember, is the final of the prophet's commission to go and to minister before exile was known. There's prophets who follow after Jeremiah, but they're called exilic prophets or exiled prophets. Why? Because they minister to a people who were in captivity, minister to a people who were found not in a land of their own. So Jeremiah, we believe, is the last of the prophets commissioned of God to go to a Jewish person in their own land before the time of captivity came to both northern and southern kingdoms. Now, as we come to consider him, we want to look just a little bit at the man and indeed the ministry that God gave to him. For that sets in its proper context then, that which we come to consider in the chapter 31 and following that which we term the new covenant and, of course, the teaching that we derive from it. But nevertheless, let's read together in the chapter 1, and let's read the first 10 verses. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the, Lord, or to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now note there that helps us to understand a little about the land and about the nation and the days in which he ministered. Because he began his ministry in days in which a mini revival was known. Days in which the hearts of the people were turned back to God for a time. Days whenever Josiah sought with the best intent in his heart to do that which pleased the Lord. And indeed, the hand of, the, or the hand of blessing of the Lord was upon the people in such times. But Jehoiakim came to the throne. Zedekiah came to the throne. And that trend did not in any way continue. And indeed, their reigns exposed the truth that the depth of the revival the depth of the turning of the heart of the people to God in the days of Josiah was at best but shallow because that which grieved God still persisted. And the, the spiritual adultery, the idolatry that they were engaged in still persisted. It was still found in the heart of man, still found in the heart of many within the kingdom. And so we see that he began in days of revival and he continues right through to the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. And if you were here on Sunday evening a couple of weeks ago, we referred to that, of course, in the book of Lamentations, that book that we believe was written as Jeremiah viewed the scene before his eyes as Jerusalem was ransacked and the southern kingdom knew what it was to be taken away. Nevertheless, let's continue. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations 
and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So we come to consider this man. We come to consider this man's ministry. And let's notice together, firstly then, the primacy of preaching. The primacy of preaching. This is who Jeremiah truly was. He was a preacher. Believed to have been called of God in his late teens, he was called of God to be God's messenger to the people. Jeremiah was tasked to preach and to preach the Word of God. Now, his unique calling is summarized for us here in these first 10 verses. And undoubtedly, this whole event meant that Jeremiah would have known the surety of his calling and indeed the purpose of his life, all because of how God dealt with him. In verse 1, we read of all that God desires us to know about his background. It tells us there that he was the son of Hilkiah, a man who was one of the priests of God to be found at Anathoth. And so without seeking to demean Jeremiah in any way, we can simply summarize all that we read off by saying that he was the son of a man we believe to have been a faithful priest, but nevertheless a little-known priest. And he came from an obscure and little-known place called Anathoth. That's how we could summarize all that we read off there. In verse 2, we see the simplicity of his calling. Because it says, "...to whom the word of the Lord came." He simply identifies the time in his life whenever God spake unto him. Now, perhaps there's a temptation here to rush on by this statement. But that would be a mistake when it comes to the book of Jeremiah. For this statement testifies of something significant. When it says there, to whom the word of the Lord came... If we simply read that statement at face value, it tells us of how he was called. There's no doubt about it. But further investigation of the phrase, and indeed some cross-referencing employed, particularly in the book of Ezekiel, helps us then to understand that what is occurring here is that God was placing Jeremiah under obligation. This wasn't simply a take-it-or-leave-it word. This wasn't a case of Jeremiah, here's a suggestion. How about you think about being a preacher? How about you think about being my messenger in these wicked days? No, this was God placing an obligation upon Jeremiah. An obligation that necessitated a response. A full commitment to do all that God was calling him to do. And right throughout this book, right throughout the record of this man's ministry, we see the repeated use of that phrase. Look in verse 4 of the same chapter. Then the word of the Lord came unto me. And over and over and over again, we see that this phrase is used and employed each and every time that Jeremiah comes to another season, to another event, to another sphere of his ministry. And as such, we have then repeated reminders that Jeremiah considered himself to be a man under obligation. 
Yes, undoubtedly, as we read through this book, we identify that his work may have been difficult, discouraging, even at times demoralizing. But Jeremiah never flinched from it. Despite no outward evidence of any good being done, despite an apparent lack of real and lasting fruit, despite there being a few willing to stand with him, never mind listen to him, Jeremiah pressed on. And he pressed on, convinced that he was at all times a man under obligation, called and commissioned of God. Friend, I remind you, the ministry is not a career. It's not a choice. It's not a choice that one should ever make on their own. True ministry is a calling. And so tonight, if you're involved in the work of God here, if you are involved in the ministry of God's Word here, realize that you are under an obligation What you do, you do for his glory. You have a duty and a responsibility to serve God for his glory. You have a duty and a responsibility to further his kingdom and to fulfill the call that he has put in your life. And whether that be teaching children, young people, older people, I encourage you, do what he has called you to do. And like Jeremiah, press on firm in your conviction and calling as one under an obligation. We come to verse 5. Notice again further information of the uniqueness of his call. Verse 4, we've already noted the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now in commenting upon this verse, I want to address an issue, uh, perhaps the elephant in the room when it comes to this verse, because some use this verse to solidify a view regarding God's election or indeed predestination. But I myself cannot agree with that teaching being drawn from this particular verse because there is no doubt a teaching here regarding God's sovereignty, a teaching here regarding God's foreknowledge, but that is as far as I can see it. To make more out of this verse regarding the matter of salvation is, in my view, distracting from what is the central truth communicated in this verse. And that truth, the central truth communicated in this verse, is, I believe, a reminder that an all-knowing and an all-wise God has a plan for the lives of children. And that plan may include the setting apart for special service as it did in Jeremiah's life. But regardless of whether or not this is or will be the case, this verse communicates to me above everything else that he has a plan for children. And notice the point in life that plan begins. The moment of conception. 
Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. That moment life begins as God blesses the union of a man and wife. He has a plan. He has a purpose for the life of that child. And I remind you as we come to this verse then that we must never allow ourselves in any way to buy into the evil philosophy of this age telling us that what is found in the womb isn't a person. The same little blob that's seen in a sonogram and was once held in my mother's hands was the same baby that she cradled in her arms in days to come. And indeed, it's the same fine specimen of a homo sapien that stands before you. I don't know why you're laughing. Perhaps it's true. The only terminology, or the only time whenever the terminology cute and nice and fine could be applied was when I was in that little piece of paper. Not allowed to laugh at that part. Don't buy into that philosophy. For that's what, what, that what is seen on that piece of paper or indeed in the hospital ward is a person. And don't buy into the idea that a abortion is a, light or is a fix for life's mistakes. For what is found in the womb isn't a mistake. It's a life. It's loved by God and it's a life that God has a plan for. And yes, perhaps the circumstances of conception may be termed a mistake. Perhaps, yes, even a horrific, tragic event that we would wish in no one. But that which is the product is not a mistake in any way. And surely I don't also need to say any of this in a church like ours, but nevertheless, don't buy into abortion being permissible to address imperfections. To ensure that a child is not born with certain conditions or certain characteristics or capabilities or lack thereof. Abortion is a choice. A choice to take a life. A choice to consider one life of less importance or value to another. And as such, abortion runs contrary to God's word and especially what we read of here in this passage. God's word reminds me that children are an heritage from the Lord. Children are to be loved and to be cared for. Christ himself who said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. And every child, no matter the circumstances that preceded their life, no matter the medical terminology or diagnoses attributed to them in life, every child is a gift from God. And he and they have a special place in his heart. And I believe he has a special plan for their individual lives.
And as such, we must always cherish every child in this assembly. We must love every child in this assembly. And we must ensure that we play our part in seeing God's plan brought to fruition in their lives. Now, I digress for a moment, but for valid reasons. Because I don't think anyone will challenge anything about what I've just said. No one here will surely disagree with the reminder to cherish every child in this assembly. I mean, who couldn't agree that it does your heart good every Sunday morning to see them trot up to the front as they share together in that little time as the Word of God is broken down for them? But may I take this opportunity to also remind you that the exhortation of Scripture is that we also apply that same heart and that same sentiment to the children who come on a Sunday night. For yes, they come, and with no purposeful intent on their part, they become a talking point from time to time. For within the four walls of a church building, in an atmosphere that is so atypical to every other place they encounter in their lives, they do struggle from time to time to meet the criteria. But I remind you, they are children for whom God has a plan. Children who also hold a special place in his heart. Children whom he loves and children through whom God could get much glory and through whom a marvelous work could be done. Because remember, those who I am talking about are not children brought up in the sterile environment of a Christian home. These are children who have been exposed to life, warts and all, in a way that some of us would never desire for our kids. Mistake me not also, for I'm not saying they rank of greater importance than any other child in this assembly. But I am saying that they rank of equal importance. And if you but knew some of the backgrounds and the schools attended by these kids, you would be amazed that God has given us such an opportunity with them. But I remind you that they stand representative of our whole Sunday school work our Good News Club work. And you don't know if one of them might just not be the next Amy Carmichael, Gladys Aylward, or Florence Nightingale. And I don't know the plan that he has for them, but I believe he has a plan for them. And as such then, the burden to see these kids one to Christ doesn't just rest with those who bring them or those who work with them. It belongs to us all. And we should be praying for them to see God break through in their lives. And so let me be clear. 
On a Sunday night, they don't spoil the meeting by being here. They bless the meeting by being here. And they don't take away from the meeting. They add to it. And churches all over our nation would have a hop, a skip, and a jump if they had young ones attending like we do. And so let's love them like he does. Because if we can't love them, who will? And if we can't have compassion on them, who will? And yes, they don't appear sometimes to listen too much. And yes, undoubtedly, they could hear a better gospel message from a better gospel preacher than I could ever hope to be. But I believe with all of my heart that sometime, somewhere, it will all click. And God will bring them face to face with their need like never before. And who knows? But in days to come, these young girls I'm speaking of in particular could be teaching Sunday school here or heading up Good News Club or Mums and Tots. Because my Bible tells me that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. My Bible reminds me to train up a child in the way he should go. The Lord Jesus Christ reminds me to suffer these little children to hear about him. For with these little children, like these little children, that's how he's building the kingdom of God. So God has a plan for our children. All our children. Acts 5 and verse 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Notice in verse 6, Jeremiah's response to all that the Lord says. He said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. This was a fully human response, was it not? As a divine intervenes in his life, Just as so often is the case whenever the divine intervenes in our lives, we struggle to respond in a spiritual manner, and very often our response is marked by carnality or marked by that reminder of our humanity. So too, that's what we see here in the life of Jeremiah. God was calling Jeremiah to be a preacher, a messenger of his word. And look what Jeremiah's response was. I can't speak. The one quality that was of the utmost importance in fulfilling the call that God had placed upon his life. And that was the one quality he said he didn't have. Further to that, he said, I'm a child. This was a reference, no doubt, to his youthful years and also an allusion to an apparent lack of authority that he perceived to be connected to his age. Why would they ever listen to me? I'm just a young man, he was saying. But look at God's response, verse 7. Say not, I am a child. 
For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. God says, enough of that, Jeremiah. I have called you. I have given you authority. I have given you ability. I am promising you my help and my protection. And it's all confirmed with my touch upon you and upon your life. Friend, tonight are you holding back from doing some service for God tonight? Are you throwing all sorts of excuses out tonight as to why you can't do what God has placed a calling on your life to do? Learn from Jeremiah. Age, ability, authority, none of these things matter. God desires availability. He isn't looking for the finished article. He isn't wanting the best thing since sliced bread. He is simply looking for that one who will say, here I am, God. Use me. Age doesn't matter. No doubt we all can testify of the truth that as much blessing can be received from a teenage preacher as from a retired preacher. Ability doesn't matter. God equips, God blesses, God gives that which is required, and little is much when God is in it. Authority doesn't matter. For yes, you can stumble over a message, you can fumble through a prayer, but whenever you are doing the work of God and acting upon His authority, then it's the sincerity of the heart, the fervency and seal of the Spirit. That makes a difference. Forgive the personal part of testimony, but whenever I was a young child, I had a speech impediment. It was noticeable. And I was very self-conscious of it. And now it got sorted out pretty quickly and pretty readily But that self-consciousness lingered. In fact, it's probably fair to say it still lingers. So much so that when public speaking was brought up in school or other places, it was something I always shied away from. I was also the child of a manse. And because of that, I always said that I would do any job apart from be a preacher. But the call of God changed all of that. And I know I'm called. And yes, I don't deny it, romantic ideas of this job or that job cross my mind from time to time. But I know I'm doing what he has called me to do. And as such, I know then that he will help me. And yes, I still stumble over my words. And yes, I still get tongue-twisted and tongue-tied. 
And yes, I stammer and stutter and all sometimes can't be all that coherent. But I know that if I stay true to his word and simply be a messenger, God will do the rest. And he'll make up for the, my shortfall and he'll make up for my shortcomings. And I say all of that to say this. Because if I can do it, you can do it too. And if God can find a place for me in his service, then no question about it, he has a place for you. And if God has moved in your heart and put his finger upon your life and said to you in your own quiet time or through your own uh, leading or through your own time and devotion and prayer with him that there is a work that he has called you to do and you have refused us far to enter in, don't play that game forever. Go and the Lord will empower you. The Lord will strengthen you. Go through with God your vows to pay. Your life upon the altar lay. For the Holy Ghost will do the rest and bring to you God's very best. Lay your life upon that altar a sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, and allow him to lead and to guide you. 1 Corinthians 1 and the verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 2 Thessalonians 1 and the verse 11, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of, the, of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, tonight, look what he promised in the life of Jeremiah. In verse 7, it tells us, The Lord said unto him, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. He was sending him. And so Jeremiah's ministry wasn't self-motivated, it was God-ordained. Notice at the end it says, Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. It wasn't a self-creating ministry. He would speak God's word, not his own. Look at verse 8, Be not afraid of their faces, I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. God removed all doubt from his mind. All need to fear from his mind. The one thing that remains to be the biggest challenge for any preacher, that of standing before a sea of faces, God said, don't be worried about it. You aren't doing it for them. You're doing it for me. Look at verse 9, he says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto him, or said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. 
It wasn't a self-empowered ministry. It was a result of the very touch of God, equipping him, empowering him for the task ahead. And it wasn't a self-sustaining ministry, for God would give him a word. He didn't have to make it up. And so all of this, these verses that record to us the account of Jeremiah's calling, it's a reminder of just how great, how comprehensive, how complete God's plan is. We know nothing of Jeremiah's training, his preparation, what molded or shaped him in his life. All we know is that he was chosen of God commissioned of God, and equipped for the work of God. He was God's man for the moment. And he had God's message for the moment. This point's all about the primacy of preaching, and we haven't got past the preacher. But that's for good reason tonight, because there was things to dwell upon and to remind ourselves about and consider this. And next week, we'll come to consider the primacy of preaching and the important role that it played within the life of the nation at the time and the emphasis that God placed upon preaching. And I suggest to you, still places upon preaching. But this tonight serves as a reminder, does it not? That in every age, God has had a messenger. In every generation, He has had those who will herald the truth. And so today, in a very dark generation, in a very difficult generation, we shouldn't be surprised that he's still calling men into his ministry. Because remember, he's the covenant-keeping God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight. Oh, how sweet the glorious message, simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same.